It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Teaching kids to be adults just took on a whole new direction. Kennewick City Council named their replacement for the late Steve Young on the Saturday. We'll have a first-person perspective on the process. And could depriving fame seekers of attention cut down on mass crimes? But first... Give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Welcome into the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. Happy Monday. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson with you. 547-1610 is the number to get involved via email at 610-KONA.com on the bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say, as well as on Twitter at bottom line 610. And you know, earlier today, Ed, there was a 22 Two earthquake reported just south of Kennewick. They must have known Jason Mercier was joining us to deliver a bombshell because otherwise, man, I can't, I don't know what would shake the earth quite like that. Jason joins us uh, on the phone. Uh, Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center. How are you, Jason? Hey, and Rob, good to be on with you. And yes, the earth will be shaking tomorrow afternoon at the state Supreme Court. Now, Jason, this is a, geez, two-year-long culmination of a lawsuit filed by the Associated Press on behalf of media organizations regarding the public disclosure uh, laws in Washington State regarding lawmakers. Now, uh, brief history, in 2018, uh, lawmakers attempted to do a fix on this, but after thousands upon thousands of phone calls and emails to the governor's office, he vetoed that legislation after saying on national TV he couldn't because there was a veto-proof majority. And then nothing got out of committee in this legislative session to address the issue. So what are we going to be looking for from the Washington State Supreme Court tomorrow? So this history goes all the way back to the 1970s when the country was mired in the Watergate scandal. The response to that was the public said, you know, we need to be in control of our government. We don't really trust what's being done on our behalf. We need to have tools to make sure our elected officials and our government officials are actually doing what they say they're doing and acting truly on our behalf. So in response to that, you saw Washingtonians pass the initiative one of the strongest public records laws in the country, also one of the strongest open meeting laws. But in particular, this is going to be focusing on public records. And at the time, the people did not make any distinction between local government, county government, state government. We just said we want all of our government officials to be very forthcoming and open with what they're doing, and that's why we have this very strong public records law. Now, where things went a little sideways is in 2017, you had the big Me Too movement breaking out across the country. So the Associated Press, the Seattle Times, other reporters wanted to know, well, what was happening in Washington state's legislature concerning these harassment complaints? Because we know we hear about them, we hear the rumors. So what lawmakers were kind of behaving in a poor manner, and they made requests for these investigations and for these complaints, and they were denied. They were told, well, the legislature has exempted itself from the public records law, therefore we're not going to give you these investigative reports. Now, where things get interesting is as 
the legislature, they are entitled to have the attorney general represent them. But for whatever reason, they did not want the attorney general. They hired private counsel to argue they weren't subject to the public records law. But by doing this, this allowed the attorney general to opine on whether or not he thought the legislature should be treated just like everybody else. And in fact, the trial court asked the AG, well, what do you think? Are lawmakers special or are they subject to the public records law? And the attorney general said, no, they're just like everybody else. They're subject to the public records law. So that's what the trial court ruled. Almost immediately after that ruling, the legislature panicked. And as you mentioned, they tried to, in the span of 48 hours, with no public hearings, ram through a law that said they were exempt from the Public Records Act. And the governor initially said he couldn't veto it, as you said on TV, but after 20,000 Washingtonians expressed their displeasure with this, he did, in fact, veto that. So where that puts us today, that case is now going to be heard at 1.30 tomorrow before the state Supreme Court. And the good news for those of us over here on the east side of the state, TVW will be live broadcasting it. So at 1.30, you can put it on TV, you can put it on the TV webcast, and you'll get to see these arguments. And it's, it's a very high-state case. Now, Jason, you mentioned that the legislature could have had the attorney general represent them, and they chose to go in another direction. Was there any reach out from anyone with the legislative bodies to the AG's office? Did a discussion occur? They didn't necessarily get the answer they were looking for, as we kind of saw later with AG Ferguson's opinion, uh, and they decided to go in another direction, feeling the AG wouldn't defend them properly or to the to the extent they wanted. You know, I have not seen any documentation as to why they decided not to take their, basically, their free state attorney. I mean, that's what the attorney general is. He's the government's attorney. People sometimes think he's the people's attorney, but under statute, his job is to defend the, the government, the agencies, and the legislature, and the governor. So it's a, a bit of a surprise they decided they wanted to go in that different direction. It was even more of a surprise when the trial court said, well, since you didn't hire the AG, let me see what he thinks. And that opened the door for the attorney general to, to weigh in. And what generally happens, these are things called attorney general opinions. And this, this was a step higher. This is actually a brief requested by a judge that the attorney general submitted. And usually those courts get a lot of deference to that. So the legislature sort of shot themselves in the foot by going with private counsel. But where we are now with this case tomorrow, why I say it's very high stakes is there are three possible outcomes from this. The one that most of us will be hoping for, because we don't, necessarily want two sets of open government laws, is for the court to say, like the Attorney General, no, the legislature is subject to public records, just like everybody else. And at that point, it will be interesting to see what records will come out, will it be retroactive, or will there be any type of sideboards on on what can be released? So that's one possible outcome. Another outcome is the court can say, well, the legislature is subject to public records, but through an amendment in the 90s, it sort of de facto exempted itself. So at that point, it would be up to a new law or a new initiative resubjecting the legislature to the public records. Or the third possibility, and this is the, the dangerous one that you face when you go to a court, is the court can do like they did with the governor several years ago and say, no, the legislature is kind of a, a separate, separate entity, it's a special entity, and it has legislative privilege. And at that point, we may not be able to get any records. Now, Jason, depending, and we're talking with Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line. Uh, if the 
state Supreme Court comes back and rules in favor of the legislature, do the citizens have any recourse as far as holding them accountable to the Public Records Act the way it was intended in the 70s? Or does this basically give the legislature validation in saying we operate under our own rules? It depends on which of those last two options the court, if the court decides that they're not subject to the Public Records Act, which of those two options? So they say that they can be, but one of the arguments the legislature is making is in this separate bill, there was an amendment that somehow exempted the public records law from the legislature. So if it's a matter of there was just an exemption, but there's a legal possibility, then the people can just respond back with a new initiative. If, however, the court comes back and says there's a legislative privilege, that's a constitutional exemption, and that we would not be able to get around without a constitutional amendment. We're talking with Jason Mercy of the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line Monday afternoon. Jason, you broke down the, I guess, legal ramifications from a more practical standpoint. One of the arguments that we kept hearing from uh, our own local lawmakers on this subject was the scenario that the, you know, if a constituent comes to them and, and wants to have a private conversation regarding something, you know, something that's happening to them or what have you, that the media, the big evil media would uh, be able to access those very personal uh, accounts uh, from constituents. That's what the lawmakers say. On the other hand, uh, the the certainly the the members of the media who filed this lawsuit says say that that's not the case. So, you know, we're trying to investigate if there's any wrongdoing amongst uh, any of the lawmakers. So is there a scenario where the state Supreme Court takes into account those two sides, if you will, and maybe grants partial um, access for the media to to some of the records? Well, you know, lawmakers make this argument, but it's no different than what happens in a city council or a county council, because a lot of these municipalities are also charged with public safety. You have police reports. So if there needs to be a narrowly crafted exemption to certain personal information that the lawmakers feel like they have to do to be able to maintain correspondence with their constituents, one would expect that same level of exemption should be provided to local officials as well. And that, that's pretty much where we're coming from and where a lot of folks are coming from is we, we don't want to have different rules for different government officials. Either we're all playing by the same open government rules or none of us are. So if you do need to have a narrowly crafted exemption for personal information, it should be applied across the board. And that's why you've seen some local officials say, and we, we already operate under these rules. You, the legislature has imposed additional transparency requirements on us that they think that they don't have to apply by. So we should all be playing by the same rules regardless of what they are. I, I don't see the court trying to carve out narrow exemptions. Either either they're going to find they're subject to the records law or they're not. At that point, then, the legislature's response would be to, well, what should a narrowly crafted exemption look like? On a more fundamental level, you know, we have the right to petition our government. It's not necessarily a right to do so in secret. That's why when you sign a ballot measure, those signatures are public records, so you can see who is asking for lawmakers to change the law. And one of the reasons why you would want to still have some of that information disclosed is, let's say you're going to an elected official and you're providing information that an agency is out of control and has been abusing you, and a lawmaker just sits on it and does nothing. 
there's no release of that information, there's no way to hold them accountable for basically facilitating an out-of-control agency. Jason, we know that the legislature doesn't like being told what to do. And we saw that with the McCleary decision, uh, and we've seen it a couple other times. They kind of bristle a little bit when, when, when they, they get told they need to do this. If it comes down against them, do you see them trying to do anything legislatively to get around the decision? Well, there is no question if the court just comes back and says, like the trial court, you're subject to the public records law, release all your documents, and this applies since the time the legislature began in existence, there will be some type of legislative bill next year to try to put some side rails on that. The question is, do they do it in a way that provides that parity with the requirements on local governments, or do they just try to craft it narrowly just for themselves? That, that approach will, I think, determine what the public response is. But the flip side of this is we, we already know that the Supreme Court has said that the governor has an executive privilege. There are certain documents the governor does not have to release. Now, to the credit of Governor Inslee, he has never claimed that. He has released records that the court has said he doesn't have to. So that's a personal decision. That, that privilege exists. If, you know, if the court's going to find that for the governor, there's a pretty good possibility they're going to find that for the legislature as well. And that is kind of the risk of having gone to the court. And I think why the legislature was comfortable with allowing this lawsuit to move forward. But it probably would not be an absolute privilege. There may be some records we could get. Now, Jason, we know that the uh, the court will hear the arguments tomorrow, as you as you mentioned. Uh, we don't know for sure when a decision would come down, but it, at your best guess, how far down the road before uh, a decision on this? You know, with our Washington Supreme Court, I say it, it's probably going to be later rather than sooner. With the U.S. Supreme Court, they issue the opinion in the same term that they hear the case. So you know you're going to get an opinion within a year. With our Washington Supreme Court, they're under no time requirements. And they have sat on cases for years. This is a case of high interest, though. I imagine they're going to want to get something else sooner than later. But it, it's pretty complicated. It has very big ramifications for the ability to monitor what the legislature is doing. And I'm sure they're going to want to get it right. And they're probably not going to want it to be a 5-4 ruling. They're going to want to have as large a majority as possible. And when you're trying to build a majority, that can take more time. Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, thanks for having me on, and tune in at 1.30 tomorrow. (laughs) We will. Appreciate it. Jason Mercier helping us uh, understand a little bit uh, what will take place tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Washington State uh, Supreme Court looking at a very important issue. Oh, absolutely. And this is something that has hung over the heads of lawmakers of both parties in Olympia over the course particularly of the last couple of years and i think everybody is looking for a resolution that matters can't get in by phone give us your bottom line through email send your thoughts from the bottom lines page at 610kona.com back to the bottom line presented by mccary meets at basin city Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, Monday afternoon, 547-1610, if you want to get involved. And I'll tell you one thing, if you don't feel good about what may happen tomorrow as far as the state Supreme Court and kind of up in the air, one thing you can always feel good about, Ed, Mm -hmm. and that is if you're looking for insurance 
and you need to go to the right place for it, it's Jason Hogue and the American Family Insurance on Road 68 in Pasco. Anything you're looking for, business, farm, driving, teen driver programs, safe driver programs, life insurance, homeowner's insurance, believe me, American Family Insurance has everything for you straight up front. They'll sit down with you, run through everything that you need, find the best policy or policies to put together to address everything that you're looking for. Very easy, very simple, very straightforward. Jason Hogue, American Family Insurance, Road 68 in Pasco, 547-0540. Jason Hogue's an American Star Certified American Family Insurance agent, top agent that affirms their commitment to excellence in customer experience. He's the only one certified in the Tri-Cities. So check out his website today, jasonhogue.com, or give him a call, 547-0540, if you are looking for a change in your current insurance setup. So... Tomorrow afternoon, the uh, Washington State Supreme Court will hear the arguments uh, from both sides. A, a group representing the Associated Press um, is that, that originally filed a lawsuit against the Washington State Legislature saying that uh, they were not exempt from the Public Records Act. And a lower court said agreed that the legislature should not be um, exempt from those particular rules regarding access to public records uh, because they are elected officials, uh, just like at the city county level. And now this uh, this has gone all the way now to the state supreme court. And as Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center noted, that there's really three different possible outcomes. They the high court will agree with the lower court and say you got to give up your public records, you're no different. Or second, uh, they could issue kind of a an in-between ruling where they say that uh, public records are exempt in these specific categories, but not in others. Or they could totally reverse the lower courts, side with the lawmakers, and say... Uh, no, the, the lawmakers are their own entity and thus are exempt from the Public Records Act. Um, be, you know, being in the media my, and, and a full proponent of transparency, especially when it comes to government entities, anything other than affirming the lower court is going to be viewed as a loss. And look, I get... I get what the lawmakers are saying. I get that, you know, personal interactions between assault victims in their office trying to push for assault victim legislation is is a private matter. Is that honestly, I mean, honestly, do they really think that the media is out to get that information? I really don't think so. I really don't. The media... Now, is everybody on the up and up? No. Most media wants to hold the government accountable at the state level. They're your representatives, and they're using taxpayer dollars for things. And if the media is not allowed to get access to certain documents, how is it supposed to hold government in check? 
Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, asking for a daily schedule. You may be meeting with someone regarding a particular sensitive topic, but that doesn't mean the media is asking for a transcript of your conversation. No. And, no. and that's, I think, where where some of that was a little bit overblown. But we'll see what the state Supreme Court has to say tomorrow afternoon. Back with more of The Bottom Line after this. Now back to The Bottom Line, presented by McCary Neats in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. This is the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA on this Monday afternoon. Ed Dawson, Rob Francis, and you. 547-1610-509-547-1610. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can also reach us uh, via email by going to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page and uh, send us your question or your comment. Uh, we'll also have a... Uh, poll on twitter a little bit later on but first rob we're gonna get to our next topic we've got plenty to discuss we do um why don't we dive into my weekend nobody wants to know what parties you went to i don't go to dude i don't go to you know what you know what i you know you know what my (laughs) level of party was this weekend i replaced an in-ground sprinkler and felt happy that it didn't leak after i was done with it that was my that was my celebratory moment of the weekend the the joys of home ownership yes the joys of home ownership and i didn't mess it up and nothing leaked or broke or blew up so that was that was a that was celebratory that was that was the weekend i think i had a cold iced tea when i was done um (laughs) but uh um I submitted my name for consideration for the Kennewick City Council position. Ah. And I didn't want to say anything about it on air because I wanted to go through the process like everybody else. Okay. And, you know, one of the reasons why I did it was because, you know, we we, we talk about a lot of subjects on the program, a lot of subjects that are government-related. Mm-hmm. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to go through one of these processes and to see how it's handled from the inside. And, you know, how is it that it's gone through and, and done and everything else? And, um, you know, it was it was a, it was a really cool experience. Um, you know, the, it was a pretty, pretty set level where you know email was sent out saying okay we'd like you to be here no later than this time um this is where we'd like you to be the council will be um interviewing down in the room we'd like you in the lobby until this point in time we'll then take you back to a conference room where the questions will be there for you to review for 10 minutes everything was timed so it wasn't like, you know, we'll take you back at this time and we'll come get you when we remember. Everything was down to the minute. So everyone had the same amount of time for everything. So I had 10 minutes to review the questions before I went in and had 12 minutes uh, during the interview process and was allowed two minutes uh, for a wrap-up. So it was about 15 minutes roughly allotted for each candidate. Now, if you were not involved in the process, you were permitted to sit and watch the interviews because it is a public hearing. Right. Um, so there were one or two people that were in watching the whole proceeding for all of the interviews, which I thought was actually even cooler than being involved because here we got a couple people that really want to see 
who, who gets is it. going to be the next person on city council. Mm-hmm. Uh, the questions were very fair. Um, Can you reveal what the questions were? I didn't sign anything that says I couldn't. Okay. I mean, you don't have to say all of them, but like, um, what was what was one question that stuck out in your mind that maybe you thought was a really, really good question or kind of bizarre question well, or just something that stuck out? One that I thought that was really cool, even though knowing that it was a five-month, because there was a question on there about, you know, this is a finite term. Right. But there was another one on there that I thought that was really cool even taking that into consideration, and it was identifying uh, three areas of economic um, priority in the city of Kennewick. And I thought that was neat because even if somebody is just serving for that five-month period of time, if they have a vision... That doesn't mean that vision would necessarily get lost when they go. If some of the other members of council that are continuing to serve hear an idea that is going to be viable for the city, then it may be something they may take up and use. So basically you're asking for input from the 11 people that testified or that that, that interviewed on well, where do you see things? What what do you see as room for economic Im- mm-hmm. improvement? And, um, you know, I was pretty honest. I mean, my, my first order was making sure that the Vista Field project um, continues on time, on schedule, and that the two, the, the two continuing phases are also monitored closely to make sure that they're going to be implemented and followed through on uh, according to plan. Um, for years, I've been a huge proponent in getting rid of the Toyota Center. Uh, and finding a a facility that is going to be able to to take us into the future as our community continues to Not just to removing grow. it, but like replacing it. Replacing okay. it. Absolutely. Okay. No, replacing it. Because we need, there. the point in time is coming sooner than later. There's only so many more times the hallways can leak. True. Before, you know, before you really wind up getting into a structural situation. And I still believe that's one of the reasons why the Link Project failed is there were a lot of people hesitant to attach a brand new building to a 30-year-old dud that needs to be replaced. So for me, finding a vision for the Toyota Center down the line is something that that I think is economically viable because you're going to need to keep up with the growth. And you've got tenants in there, and you're looking to attract enter- other entertainment options. And so that, that, to me, has always been something there. And the other thing, too, is is the, the Army Corps of Engineers discussions that are not just going on in the city of Kennewick, but with the county and, and, and a number of different entities around here about land that's reconveyable and land that could potentially be used for, for economic benefit. And that's a longer process. But that's one that still needs to be looked at as to potential economic viability um, when you are a city that's that's running out of its boundary. I mean, there are there are things that you may or may not. I mean, again, it comes down to what you can use the land for. But still, there are aspects of that land that economically can be used to help the city of Kennewick. So, yeah, um, I I thought that was an awesome question to ask everybody involved because you never know what you're going to hear, mm-hmm. um, you know, from residents or those that were involved in the process. Yeah. Well, it's it's free <clears throat> it's free public input. You know, yeah, whether you select that is. person or not. I mean, from their standpoint, but, uh, they're getting some feedback. You know? There were there were six questions total, and each council member asked the question. 
Um, so it wasn't the it wasn't the mayor asking all the questions or the mayor pro tem asking all right. the questions. It, it went around in a circle, and each each council member asked a question, um, and they all you know wrote notes based on the answers. And so um, you know, I thought it was a very fair process. So I, so every every council member asked a question. Every council member okay. asked a question. So there were six questions. Okay. Um, and it and and they all took turns in okay. asking a question on the list. And it kind of went in order. So the, the, where the where the the seating was, it was the mayor started out with the first question, and then it went around the table um, in order of where the questions were. Um, but I thought it was a very fair process. In fact, they even had um, uh, there's a a a I guess for the lack of a better term, there's an electronic device that sits on the podium at council meetings when you are. Uh, when it's time for public comment to let you know when your three minutes is running out. Well, they put that in front of everyone who was interviewing to let them know when their two minutes was running out for their comment. Okay. So like I said, everything was conducted in a very organized, orderly, uh, fair manner. And it was, it was very governmental as far as, how it was approached, how it was done, um, the way that the business was conducted. And then at the end, um, most of the candidates were there to hear the um, announcement that Ed Frost was going to be named. It took three times through the voting to get the four-member consensus, which still, even though, you know, you had to have four with there being six councilmen voting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it took a a third round of voting for Ed Frost to be named the uh, new Kennewick City Councilman. Um, But I I was, I thought it was a really cool process. I thought it was a fair process. I enjoyed going through it. Uh, It definitely gives you a, another perspective on the operation of local government. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't necessarily go into it looking to be named. I went into it looking for the experience and looking at the process because, like I said, we do this Monday through Friday. We talk about different aspects of government. We talk about different things that maybe, you know, may work, you know, in certain ways and certain matters. This is one of those mechanical things that I had an opportunity to experience firsthand. And so I decided to take that opportunity and figure be able to relate to our listeners how the process worked, um, how everything went down and went through. And I, it, it was an overall, it was a real positive experience. You know, it was really cool to do, really cool to go through. And uh, it gives you a another level of appreciation for how different things um different processes have to be gone through it's not just a simple come in and do there's a couple different levels behind organizing all of that putting it together making sure it's open making sure it's fair making sure that the public knows um you know putting the questions together and everything else so i thought the the city did a did an awesome job we're gonna take a time out five four seven one six ten five oh nine five four seven one six ten When we come back, we want to get your thoughts, and Rob and I will discuss the person who was selected. And uh, we'll see what your reaction to Ed Frost joining 
the Kennewick City Council. Back with more after this. Hook up with the bottom line on Twitter at bottom line 610. Now back to the show presented by McCary Meats in Basin City. Online News Radio 610 KONA 547 509-547-1610. Now that we know that Ed Frost will be the person who uh, takes over the remainder of the late Steve Young's term until uh, the the new person, uh, whoever wins the election for that spot and uh, the results are certified, that person will then uh, take over and you know, fill out the new term. Ed Frost will take over the remainder of of Steve Young's term. Uh, I'll tell you right now, you know, whether you know who Ed Frost is or not, um, I think the council did a good thing, and it's something that we talked about in the days and weeks leading up to this. They did not go with somebody who was on the ballot. I thought the optics of that would have been really really poor. And so I'm glad, um, you know, Ed Frost is a, is a good person to select. I think he'll do, he'll do a fine job in, in his limited capacity in a limited term. Um, but I'm really glad the Kennewick council didn't go down that road of selecting somebody who was on the primary ballot, uh, in essence, sending a message to the public that we want person X to win the the election is basically what they would be saying. So I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm also glad they didn't select you because I live in Kennewick and I like the city of Kennewick and Lord knows what you would have done to it. Why well, would have just zoned in on your address? <laughs> just for that. Just for that. Any new zoning at Ed Dawson's house going through. Um, That's right. Why? Why is there? Zoned... Why is there a? Why is there a convenience store in the middle of this residential block? Oh, Ed Dawson used to live there, and yeah, you know, it's a long story. It involves Rob Francis. You've been zoned from residential to commercial. Get out. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought that that was. I, I thought that that was very um i thought it was it was it was one of the one of the positive things that came out of it as well um there were a couple of uh of those people that were interviewing that were on the um that were on the list um and even through the voting process um no only one individual that was running got a vote, and they never were in a position that they were going to get the majority. So um, it seemed that there that there was uh, an awareness there, mm-hmm. um, but also and I'd, that's I'd no, like I... to think. But the other thing I'd like to think too is that the the council members really paid attention to what everyone was saying. Which is and 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 what I mean by that is the um, the individuals whose names were being voted for, uh, you know, like Ed Frost has a long history in the community. He's been involved in a number of boards uh, and has served uh, and has been in public service, you know, and and, and done a lot in the city of Kennewick. Yeah. Uh, A couple of the other names are people who have 
who are very smart people, people that would bring a lot to the position, that are very knowledgeable. Um, Maybe and, not experienced, but, but right, would but, have been strong. But, but would have been strong additions had they been selected. True. Um, so I, I think that um, the selection of Ed Frost uh, sends a great message in a couple of ways. One, that we understand that this is a final term and that this is just five months and that we are going to pick somebody who does have some experience in public service and who has served on boards and commissions and understands the process. So they're not going to need a tutorial on Robert's rules. Uh, They're going to know where they need to go and and what we need to do here. And it's going to be uh, a smooth fit. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Ed Frost brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as he as he said uh, to me on Saturday, that he has a goal and a vision of what to do to step in and understanding that it's a five-month term and what he hopes to accomplish in that five months. And I, and I thought it was very, um, you know, very honest and very astute of him to know already going in and put thought into what he would contribute if he was a name to the position. Five four seven one six ten five zero nine five four seven one six ten. if you'd like to offer uh, your comment here inside into the selection of Ed Frost. Again, um, not only from from an optics standpoint, the the city, you mentioned that there were a couple of names, uh, people that interviewed for the position that were currently on the ballot. And I, I get you can't uh, keep those people from that because then you run into another kind of tangled mess. But I, you know, this is zero disrespect to those people who were applying and running for that spot. I, you know, I, I, most of them I don't know personally. And so this is no disrespect, but I'm glad they weren't selected. And here's why this is a bigger picture type of answer, I guess. I would rather the public, the voters select who is going to be on the city council uh, for the entire term. And, I'm glad the city council didn't select one of them who would have gotten an extra five months. And before anybody says, well, they weren't selecting, you know, for the whole term, you know, the term plus five months. But, yeah, they kind of were because that person would have had an advantage come election time of name recognition, in essence, being the incumbent. And that's not fair to the other people that are running for it, and certainly not fair to those who were running and did not uh, submit an application to to uh, to get the appointment for five months. So just not only from a transparency point of view, but just from an overall fairness uh, standpoint, council did well to not select one of the people that were on the ballot They also, you know, uh, but again, no disrespect to Ed Frost. They did very well in his selection, I think. No, I think they did. And and I'm sure those that were running interviewed well as well. And and I don't think that they consciously looked at that and said, we can't select one of these four. No. I think there were two people and, and, and two of the names that came up, you know, in the voting process, I would imagine did extremely well. And that's why they were they were mentioned on more than one occasion. So. Either one of them, I, th- I think, would have been a would have been a good addition. Um, 
to the city council. True, but they and should neither earn it. The, they should right. they should earn it the the way that they originally intended, and that's for running an election for that seat. Yeah. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two straight ahead. This is the bottom line. News Radio six ten K O N A.